One light, two lights, three lights, four lights, five lights. Hello everybody, uh, my name is Aaron and this is the 5 Red Lights podcast and today we're looking ahead to the Turkish Grand Prix. Back after nine years off of the F1 calendar, the last time they raced there was 2011 and uh, I am so excited for this race. It's going to be brilliant to see the new cars, uh, the 2020 cars, not new cars anymore are they? They've been going for several races now. Um, then 2020 cars go around uh, that circuit, especially around turn 8, quadruple apex. Very, very exciting. So let's dive on into the history of the Turkish Grand Prix, which has only ever been held at the Istanbul Park Circuit. Uh, so it's built between the Pendik and Tulsa districts of Istanbul, and it sits on the Asian side of the city, which is um, important because the, it's separated by the Bosphorus Bridge in Istanbul, and it spans across Europe and in Asia. So technically, we do have a race in Asia uh, in 2020 even though we don't have China or Malaysia or Bahrain. Oh, we've got Bahrain. That's Middle East, isn't it? Um, but yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, it's an anti-clockwise layout, so that's a rarity in Formula 1. Uh, so it's going to challenge the drivers with their neck muscles, especially through that legendary Turn 8. Uh, but they'll have been preparing for the last two weeks for that. And I don't think it gets drivers as much as it as it used to nowadays because you used to the, the late 90s, and uh, early 2000s, you always used to see around Interlagos the drivers sort of resting their neck um, because it, they were getting tired towards the end of the race. Uh, but they're, they're a lot fitter now that the nutrition and the preparation that they have is a lot, a lot deeper, a lot more well, well thought out uh, in terms of how they, how they maintain their bodies for elite performance. Uh, but it's going to be a 5.338 kilometer lap uh of each uh of around the circuit and uh it's a mixture of high medium and low speed corners i think so providing a good all-round challenge for both the car and the driver as well as the engineer which is going to be really important that they uh, manage the tires really well and they set the car up to be well balanced through each section of the track um you know it's just such a broad spectrum that they've got to nail and indeed that 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 legendary corner of turn eight and we're going to go on about it uh, quite a lot uh, it's going to ask a lot from both the car and the driver in terms of bravery and the handling of the car um, the track was designed with a lot of sim similarity to other famous tracks such as spa and interlagos and laguna seca um, so it's going to draw on a, a lot of different different heartstrings so you might see something that reminds you of spa or interlagos if that's your thing they're one of your favorite tracks but again turn eight from the word go it stood out and it's revered and remembered by everyone who watched it on telly and i think the drivers will be having either uh, some nightmares about it after the race um or some very pleasant uh moments as they go through it um hopefully full throttle um the rest of the circuit it's fairly straightforward it's a it's a good good track um the final sector, though, is where it really gives us some fruitful racing. So it's a good spot for overtaking, especially down that back straight. Um, so they come out of turn nine, up over the crest, round the right-hander of 11, 
uh, and it's rising and plunging all the way through, which is good for the drivers um, and that they enjoy that. And we've seen with circuits uh, that we've gone to so far this season where there's a bit more undulation. Um, it tends to hit the spot a bit more with the drivers. They enjoy themselves a lot more. It does actually set up some good racing, uh, as we'll hopefully see this weekend. So down into turn 12, that's the tight hairpin, and it's a triple switchback. And this comes off the back of the DRS zone. So hopefully that, that switchback sequence, and we saw the McLarens in 2010 battling through there. So you've got 12, 13, and 14. Leads onto the main pitch straight. Hopefully get some overtaking action there. And uh, maybe even into turn one. So we had uh, Button and Hamilton go wheel to wheel through 12 and 13. Button got the job done. Hamilton then positioned himself uh, coming out of turn 14 and, and retook the lead of that race um, into turn one. And that was after the two Red Bulls had showed them how to not do it by crashing into each other. So let's have uh, a few stats for this track uh, the lap is probably about 69 percent full throttle and that is taken from 2011 so let's be honest the amount of extra downforce and power that these cars are going to be carrying uh, the 2020 beasts will be going past maybe 75 percent i think uh, it's certainly going to rise um that percentage of full throttle the lap record which is probably going to be shattered this weekend as well uh, is a 124.770 uh, set on the very first visit there actually from Juan Pablo Montoya when they when they were only allowed to use one set of tyres for the whole race in 2005. So you had 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010 and 11 where they were able to change tyres but they still didn't go faster than that. So um, that's a slightly uh, odd stat but it's probably going to fall this weekend, let's be honest. I mean, they've been shattering lap records all the way through the season. These cars are so fast now um, even if they don't race particularly well on certain circuits. Uh, looking back then at the past winners and the past races. So, as I said just a minute ago, the Turkish Grand Prix was held for the first time in 2005, won by Kimi Raikkonen uh, in the McLaren MP420. Uh, Juan Pablo Montoya, even though he set the fastest lap, he was running second in that race. Uh, actually, he wore out, um, he had some tire wear. I think he had an incident with one of the Jordans, the backmarker Jordans. They, they, I think it was Montero, Thiago Montero uh, uh, ran into him from behind at turn 12 and he he had some tyre wear issues and he ended up uh, skating wide at the turn 8 corner and lost the position to um, Fernando Alonso. There was a classic Kimi uh, team radio, one of the very early team radios from from Kimi. They uh, they told him he'd won the race and he said, oh, where did uh, Juan Pablo finish? And they said, oh, third, Alonso passed him on the last lap. And he goes, oh. so." Uh, a very early Kimi uh, team radio moment there. Uh, and after that, three years in a row, Felipe Massa, three consecutive wins for Ferrari. He claimed his first ever win, his maiden win uh, at, the, at the Istanbul circuit in 2006. And he won again in 2007 and once again in 2008. In 2009, Jensen Button pounced on an error from pole sitter Sebastian Vettel to claim his sixth win from seven races for that season. Uh, as I've spoken about uh Earlier, Lewis Hamilton and Jensen Button, they won for McLaren, first and second, Hamilton in front, uh, taking them back to the top step of the podium in Turkey. Um, as I said, the Red Bulls had collided when they were running first and second themselves. The last race that was held in Turkey was in 2011. Sebastian Vettel won that for Red Bull, uh, where they did come home with the 1-2, redeeming themselves uh, from the year before. And that was the first year with Pirelli tyres 
And I think there was something like a four or five stop strategy uh, for Red Bull to win that race. The tyres were just so fragile and they couldn't withstand the temperatures and the, the forces through some of the corners. Uh, it's not going to be quite as warm this weekend. It's going to be uh, probably a bit chillier than they're used to around there. But they're not going to have any sort of representative data, especially for the, for this style of car, the, the, the V6 hybrids um, and the downforce that they've got, the the tyres. So it's all going to be up in the air. It's all going to be unknown. And that's one of the beauties of the 2020 season. Uh, we've just gone to tracks where we've just not known where things are going are gonna to be. Although we, we do have a, a fairly rough idea of uh, where some teams are going to be. So let's look forward to this weekend's race. Uh, how might it pan out? As I said, they don't really have uh, much data in terms of the concept, the, running the concept of car that they've got on the track. They'll have done their simulations uh, and that will get them so far within their development on uh, setup and strategy and different things like that. Uh, so it's kind of hard to say how the how I think the race is going to pan out. Uh, although I think qualifying is going to be really fun uh, with every car aiming to be flat out through turn eight. Um, so look out for qualifying. They're going to be super fast. They're going to be pushing to the limit. Uh, we might see a few mistakes, actually, especially through practice. We're going to see a few mistakes at turn eight, uh, maybe down the hill into turn nine and turn 12. Um, on the Sunday, though, hopefully we'll see some good racing in that final sector with the DRS. Hopefully it's not too powerful. Uh, I think in Portimao it was far too powerful. And in Imola, it was slightly the other way. Um, and they've, but the thing is, they've got, they've got um, a reference for 2011 with the DRS there. So they, they can take that, the FIA, and have a look at distance for that uh, for that year and, and see whether they, they think it could be uh, shortened or indeed lengthened because it, it's so tricky to follow with these cars. Um, you know, the, the the wake is going to be tricky through turn eight and then turn nine. But then if they, if they have the DRS, they might get close enough on the brakes into turn 12. Um, we might even have a, a short DRS zone on the main straight, which would be nice because then you could even essentially close them up through that, that long straight, position yourself well for the run on to the pit straight through uh, 12, 13 and 14. Um, and obviously because the, the wake, Maybe the wake won't be quite so bad at low speed, uh, but just in case a little bit of DRS help might not go amiss. I know DRS isn't everyone's fan, but uh, uh, everyone's not a DRS fan, but you know it, it, it's there to improve the show. It's there to, to aid overtaking. And if, if, if we can use it in the right way, then we absolutely should. Um, it's kind of like uh, F1's version of VAR because it kind of it divides opinion <laughs> really, really heavily. Um, so hopefully corner to corner we and lap to lap we can get some get some battles uh through the race. It's probably very predictable to say that Mercedes are going to be in front and uh, I think this will lay, this layout will uh, suit them and have them uh gaining a bigger advantage over Red Bull uh given the power needed in that final sector and the Mercedes engine has got uh buckets full of uh, power when it needs it. Um the longer radius corners probably aren't going to favour the the RB16 quite as much because it's more of an agile car, uh, looking to gain corner on, uh, gain time on corner entry um, rather than, than through it. And the Mercedes is very stable, and there are there's some corners here that are off camber, uh, and as as you go over the brow of them, they they, they fall away. So the, the the twitchy rear end of the, the Red Bull uh, might come back to bite them. 
so they might have to compromise on their, their setup there. Uh, looking back into the midfield, I can see Renault coming out on top. They've really struck a uh, a really good balance with their car and they've unlocked its potential. And they're they're going well on pretty much every style of circuit at the moment. So uh, high downforce circuits, medium downforce circuits, circuits where there's a long straight, circuits where there's not such a long straight. Um, it's coming up good for them. And Daniel Ricciardo's got two podiums in the last three races. They'll be locking horns with Racing Point again and Racing Point will be looking to put right um uh, where they went wrong in uh in Imola and where they were kind of unlucky in Nürburgring to not be on the podium with Sergio Perez. Uh and I think they'll have McLaren scrapping just behind them. Uh the McLaren has wouldn't say fallen off the pace recently. They've just gone a different way with their development and it's it's not slowing them down. They're just not making the gains that they wanted to. So they've kind of stood still slightly um while everyone else has progressed uh, more uh, than they, they they could have, more than McLaren have. Uh, I'm interested to see where Ferrari end up because they've made some developments for their car and it's looking quite more settled in the hands of uh, Charles Leclerc, whereas Sebastian Vettel just can't seem to get anything from it. Uh, whether that's just his driving style or there really is some uh, some foul play at hand in terms of Ferrari giving Charles the pits and pieces that they they want to give him uh, to to move him forward, and Seb's not really getting um, a fair crack of the whip there. Although some some of that is understandable, given that Seb is leaving the team. But then, why would you handicap your second driver so so badly? Which is something that uh, has been labelled at Red Bull and uh, potentially not giving Alex Albon the updates. But we're not privy to that, so we can only speculate and we can't really pass judgment the Alpha Tauris they've shone in Imola I'm not really expecting them to be quite as far up the order but I still think they'll be on the fringes of the top 10 um, and it'll be a tricky weekend for the Alphas the Haas team and for Williams although I expect George Russell to get into Q2 because he is Mr Saturday that is a fact so my predictions for the weekend I'm going to go for Lewis Hamilton to take pole position um in a Hamilton Bottas Verstappen top three. I know Bottas has got two poles in the last three races, and they were both excellent laps around the Nurburgring and Imola. But Hamilton has raced at Istanbul before. Bottas, I don't know if he has. I don't think uh, well, he's definitely not raced there in Formula One. Although the fact that these cars are so so different to what they raced in 2011 and 2010, um, it might count for nothing. So Hamilton will have an idea of what to expect from the track and how maybe to set the car up and, and balance and, and just a few tricks around the circuit, perhaps how to maximise it over one lap or over uh, a race distance. But he's a very different driver to the one that raced there in 2011, of course. He's qualified P2 on three occasions, Lewis, and not got a pole position. So it's one of the few tracks where the most successful qualifier in Formula 1 has not claimed a pole position. Um, and bear in mind, he was actually really unhappy with his lap in Q3 in Imola, describing it as um, poor. So expect him to come back in true Lewis Hamilton fashion and probably snatch the pole position from Bottas. As for the race, I think it will be the same order for the top three. I think uh, Hamilton is going to claim his second win in Istanbul and to go with that will be his seventh world championship. Bottas needs to pull something off very surprising to beat Lewis, especially if he doesn't grab the pole. How often do you see Valtteri get ahead of Lewis at the start 
and stay there. Um, not very often. If he takes the pole, Valtteri, it will be different because we might see that dominant Bottas performance that we probably would have seen in Imola had he not picked up that piece of Ferrari that slowed him down. You know, just sheer bad luck in the end. But I think despite that, given that the track layout does lend itself to overtaking pretty well, and hopefully, fingers crossed, it will do with these these style of cars, I can see Lewis finding a way past him. But then Bottas can win and Hamilton can still claim the championship if he finishes second. So in that in that scenario, Bottas would need the extra point for fastest lap. So if Lewis is third, uh, Valtteri needs to win again. It's looking very much like Lewis will take that seventh world championship uh, this weekend. Uh, Verstappen is probably the only man who can get in between them. He's the only man and machine combination able to really get close to the Mercedes. Um, and he's he's probably a shoe in for third. Uh, and unless the Red Bull has a trick up its sleeve in terms of race pace or they do something clever on the strategy and how the tyres are working, uh, I can't really see him getting in between them. Um, but he might be able to force a little bit of a battle at the front. Um, and maybe we'll get something like the battle we, we missed out on in Imola because of the virtual safety car. So let's do a little bit of uh, news and roundup. Uh, so the first ever Saudi Arabian Grand Prix will be held in November 2021. That was announced last week. It's going to be a street street track and it's going to be at night. So it's going to be a little bit like Singapore. And obviously, there are huge question marks over why Formula One are going to a country with uh, a record of human rights like Saudi Arabia. But then uh, we've been to some of these other countries before like Abu Dhabi and Bahrain and you know Formula One get gets by and people sort of do forget about it after a while and while we shouldn't look away from that and turn turn the other cheek so to speak um you know it's it's good to have new new places on on the calendar and a new venue and a new style and perhaps it can be an opportunity for them to showcase the good things that they do and hopefully not just use it as a uh, a blanket cover for for the, the things that go wrong in that country um and you know the the world cup the football world cup is being held in uh, qatar in 2022 so you know it's up to these places to make sure that they show themselves in a good light um and using sport does does enable them to do that, um, but I don't think we should be able we should be uh, trying to get away from the fact that there are issues in those countries and there are issues in every country though. Um, but then some are, are greater than others. You know, we, should we go to America when uh, we've got people uh, rioting on the streets because of different things? And it's not just the 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 Black Lives Matter movement. It was other things in the past. It was, you know, America has its issues, just like Great Britain has its issues, and other countries have their issues. So that that shouldn't stop a, a country being able to host a sporting event, um, like a Formula One race. And will Lewis Hamilton really walk away at the end of 2020? He did say that he he, he wasn't sure if he would be. On the grid in 2021 i don't think that was 
a serious threat. I mean, I would be very surprised if he won the seventh world championship and then called it a day when he's got the car that they're not developing them hugely from this season to next season. There's only certain elements that they can change um, for 2021. And given the advantage that Mercedes have and that they've already started working on a 2021, they've stopped developing 2020. Um, I think he would be foolish to walk away at the end of this season. Um, and Mercedes would be silly to not have him for next season because they'd miss out on a, they'd potentially miss out on a world championship. That said, I mean, Lewis would definitely miss out on a world championship, I think, because I don't think Bartas has got what it takes to stop him. That said, if, if Lewis did walk away and then they promoted George Russell, that would be interesting. That would be good because it, you'd get a real barometer of what George Russell is capable of because Bottas is a proven Grand Prix winner. And I think without Hamilton, he would probably be able to win the World Championship. Although there is there is some speculation as to whether Bottas is raising his level to try and keep up with Hamilton uh, and still just falling short. Whether if Hamilton left, Bottas would, would sink his level slightly and maybe George Russell would would uh, be able to to capitalise on that opportunity if, if, if they put George Russell in the car. I'm sure they would put George Russell in the car because, after all, he is a Mercedes driver. So that, that is the end of this episode of the Five Red Lights podcast. Uh, take a moment to subscribe if you are watching the video uh, on YouTube and leave a like on the video and leave, leave some comments. Leave me your predictions for the weekend. If you're listening to the to this episode uh leave it uh rate us uh, give us a five star or hopefully a five star rating um and again get in touch on twitter uh which is at five underscore red underscore lights and um, we'd love to hear from you and above all else enjoy the grand prix this weekend i'll see you next week uh or you will hear me next week if you're listening to this uh next week for uh, a look back on the turkish grand prix and